This is Fordham Conversations on 90.7 FM and WFUV.org. I'm Mary Wilson. Today, Jonathan Sanders tells a Hanukkah story from Moscow just after the fall of the Iron Curtain and explains the proper way to light a menorah. Now, we're probably breaking some Fordham fire law by finding matches. I bet you you don't have matches. I don't have matches either. This is good. And for WFUV's Strike a Chord campaign, we hear from a Fordham student who's founded a dance collective to do community outreach in the city and beyond. But first, Bronx Community District 9 is just southeast of Fordham's Rose Hill campus. The district encompasses Soundview, Castle Hill, Unionport, and Parkchester neighborhoods. Latest census data shows that 12% of people who live here have college degrees. To give some context, in all of the Bronx, that share is at 14%. In Manhattan, it's 49%. The Rosedale Achievement Center for Girls is in Bronx Community District 9, but it's outperforming the district as a whole. Rosedale was founded over 30 years ago to provide free extracurricular education programs that help local students go to college. Emily Martinez and Brittany Vargas are best friends, and they have been for three years. The two girls sit side by side on a piano bench. Brittany is trying to learn how to play a song. Emily is teaching her. And they're taking it really slow, just a few keys at a time. Emily will play a few notes and pause for Brittany to try. They make their way through the song slowly, stopping to fill in the gaps, to correct any mistakes, and only when Brittany plays the right sequence of notes does Emily move on. All right, next. You're a fast learner, I guess. It took my cousin an hour to learn that. That little part right there? Yes, that was torturing. <laughs> this is how learning works, but it's not always how teaching works. Teachers can't always take as much time as Emily here. They can't always stop to worry about every missed note. But those missing notes are important to playing the song well. I don't have long fingers, okay? Oh, okay, okay. Brittany and Emily met here in Rosedale's three-story townhouse. Rosedale offers programs meant to supplement school education and, like Brittany and Emily's impromptu piano lesson, fill in any missing notes. 10 in the morning to 1 in the afternoon is Saturday morning club time at Rosedale. Girls will rotate through a roster of loosely scheduled activities from reading to cooking. You know, this group of girls is putting together a newsletter. What do you think of these photos? What would you say, ah, that shouldn't have really been in a newsletter at that size or it doesn't really show what's going on? Laura Barker is in charge of the center's weekend programs. This morning, she's a study in perpetual motion. When she's not on the phone with parents or opening the front door for students, she's popping in on each group of girls, assessing how they're doing. And if someone's not doing well, Barker has to figure out what's missing. It seems like you guys kind of have to come up with a curriculum along the way. You have to identify the gaps in people's understanding and then fill them as you find them. It always happens in a really obvious way with academic focus. One of the girls who comes to club, I had her for mentoring last weekend, and it was really kind of rough. She didn't want to say a whole lot. I don't like to sit there and grill people as if it's a sitting on a couch, you know, put you down and talk to you. But what was troubling me most is that she said randomly, I don't go to school every second Wednesday. And I thought, well, why? Well, because I have tests that day, and I don't want to have to take them because I don't do well. So I said, well, you know, you're avoiding tests, whatever. So I was trying to get a sense of what her story was for not going to school and what her grades were. At the end of the conversation, I kind of tried to wrap it up by saying, well, what is something that we can work on that I can help you with? 
And she said, I don't like to make goals. And I said, well, what if I just ask you to think about something that you want to work on? Forget about it being a long-term goal, just in general, what you would like to do here. And she said, well, I'll think about it. And I'll tell you at the end. So at the end, she did tell me as she was leaving. She said, I thought about it. Actually, my, I just I really want to pass my subjects in school. So I said, well, then I can help you with that. You can come for tutoring, and I'll call your mom, and we'll set it up. And I thought, well, that hopefully will happen. It might not. It did. So she came on Thursday, and immediately I could tell, in terms of identifying a gap, she could not multiply and divide in her head. And she's a seventh grader. So that was going to slow her down for everything. So Laura Barker stopped. I said, well, we have to take it back a level. She got out a chart of times tables, some timed tests, and went to work with the student to master this specific skill, identifying a gap and filling it. But, it, you know, it came out of, you need to come for tutoring, but you need to come for tutoring because you expressed an interest because we talked about it. And what happens at Saturday is that, and what all the volunteers are doing, and I'm noticing it more, which is really nice, is talking to the girls. If they're not seeing each kid individually and figuring out what's going on with her, then you don't even know where to start. You don't notice gaps, and that's the biggest difference between doing things in a more intentional way and and just coming up with the curriculum and doing it regardless of whether it's benefiting the kids in the way they need to be helped. Hi. Good morning. You guys are upstairs. Doing things with intent means making time for each girl here. Barker says something as simple as greeting each person goes a long way towards making Rosedale a supportive community. How did you learn that that was an important piece of the puzzle? Mm -hmm. By being a volunteer here. And that's how the staff that I was working with would greet me. They would greet the girls and just make them feel really happy to be a part of what's going on. It's huge. It is huge. huge. And, you know, I've had to remind myself to do that with the volunteers. When I pick them up for tutoring and when I pick them up for the morning club, it always feels a little bit awkward. I'm in the driver's seat of this giant van and someone gets in the back and I twist around and I say like, hi, Christine or whoever, how are you? But, and everyone in the van is like, oh, okay. But it's, I would like everyone in the van to do that similar recognition of like, hi, how are you doing? Or how's your week going? And it takes somebody starting it. So it's all about modeling those things. And it's easy for me to do it with kids because I saw it being done and just picked up on it right away. But now I'm challenging myself to do it with the volunteers, which I've said before, that it's always that next level of um, how is everyone being a part of this. Uh, I'm looking for any kind of interest or a spark. Stacy Schwartz just started volunteering here. She homes in on bored girls like a heat-seeking missile. She'll crack a joke or ask a question to get a girl talking. Sometimes they're a little shy, sometimes they're a little tired. And first they were really quiet. And then once you take them aside and kind of start talking to them, you see that spark, you see that interest. To keep the newsletter project moving, she hooks the girls into interviewing each other. Here, Emily Gomez asks Crystal Lorraine about a trip to a local nursing home. Oh, please. Um, did you ever feel like crying when you were there? Yeah. When I saw them, like, um, they were chewing their spit, like, they didn't have teeth. So when you see them, like, a lot of them couldn't talk. And then there was a lo- another lady that she couldn't really speak properly, but she was talking, but no one could understand what she was saying. So she looked like she wanted to express herself to us, but she couldn't. On the opposite side of the room, newsletter talks have broken down. 
but volunteer Kasia Laskowski sinks into a couch to listen to Isabella Calderon and Hilary Borja talk about their grandparents. Like, they're really old, so you don't know when they're going to, like, pass away. And it's yeah. really sad. They're not sad. really old. My grandma yeah, is really old. You just never know. I understand yeah. what you mean. It's by talking to the students that Barker and the volunteers get a better idea of what each girl needs. So Saturday gabfests are okay, and to some extent encouraged. There were decisions made long before I had any involvement with Rosedale that this space, we want it to be a homey environment where it doesn't feel like an institution, and that when we train people, the bottom line is personal interaction, because that means so much more. Tutoring is one-on-one, and it's for a semester, and ideally for more. And our, our program here on Saturdays, I've opted this year for having smaller groups. And I noticed today that some of our new volunteers, we're having conversations with girls just off to the side, and that's, that's what I want. We, we try to do that without sacrificing getting things done. So like this newsletter project. Um, in the past, we, we whipped it out, but it's always, you know, is it really going to happen? produce a perfect newsletter, or not perfect, but a really high-quality newsletter. Well, not necessarily, but if they can have fun doing it, if they can talk to each other, then that's accomplishing something. Is a large part of the goal socializing girls in an environment where certain kinds of values are pushed? Yeah, that. but we do. I mean, I, that's what I'm trying to say. I don't want to, we don't sacrifice the academic, because we are trying to get them. I mean, I run this test prep class so that they can get into either specialized public schools or into the private schools and hopefully get scholarship money to go to those high schools. We want a high turnout of girls going into college eventually and succeeding wherever they are, having the skills to do so. But we don't want to do that without realizing that succeeding, excelling in school is not everyone's thing. It doesn't matter what kind of background you come from. Maybe you're not going to be the brilliant student, and that's fine. You should be able to develop your interpersonal skills, your well-roundedness as an individual, and we want to encourage that in every way. In every way, one note at a time. This is Fordham Conversations on 90.7 FM and WFUV.org. I'm Mary Wilson. Up next, lighting the menorah with Jonathan Sanders. There's a, 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 a candle on top. This is called the shamash, which is also slang that we use for police. It's the candle in charge. That's after the break on Fordham Conversations.
This is Fordham Conversations on 90.7 FM and WFUV.org. I'm Mary Wilson. To help me celebrate Hanukkah this year, I turned to Jonathan Sanders, a visiting assistant professor and former CBS News correspondent in Moscow. Sanders grew up in a Jewish household in Connecticut, and he remembers celebrating Hanukkah in the years just after the Second World War. Hanukkah, of course, commemorates the reclamation of a Jewish temple after the Maccabees, the insurgent Jewish army, waged a successful rebellion against their Syrian oppressors around 165 BCE. It's a holiday akin to Independence Day, and during the 50s and 60s, it took on new importance for American Jews. The way Jonathan Sanders puts it, the fate of the Jewish people weighed heavily on his parents' minds. Basically, Hanukkah is a very minor holiday on the Jewish calendar. And there are people who believe in the saying that much in life depends on luck. And that luck in America, for American Jews, brought the proximity to Christmas. And the worry that this materialistic Christian society would overwhelm these Jewish traditions pushed American Jews to make Hanukkah an antidote or a balance to Christmas. So there was more gift giving. It became a bigger holiday so the kids wouldn't want to yearn for the Christmas tree and yearn for Santa Claus and wanted to get all this stuff. And if you think about how affluent America became in the post-war period and, and with the, the booming of the, subgru- the suburbs, what we might call the crabgrass frontier, this was significant. What was particularly important, and I think this is actually has made a deep impression on me, was we considered Hanukkah as a holiday of freedom as much as a holiday of commemorance and, and being puffed up for this materialistic, let's, let's do well in America and let's not make the kids uh, jealous of the Christians. But it was a holiday of freedom, and in my household growing up, which was very active and socially conscious and involved deeply in civil rights movement and the anti-war movement, we put a strong emphasis on the freedom. And what was indicative And it's something that stuck with me wherever I've traveled in the world. After we would light the holiday candles, the Hanukkah candles, my mother would put them in the window. And the window was to show people that you were celebrating a holiday of freedom, to propagandize the holiday in a way to your neighbors that we're celebrating, but also between the lines that we felt safe enough in America, in the suburbs, not to be afraid of anti-Semitism or having to hide or that people were coming to get me. And this was particularly striking because I would alternate as a kid between being with my my mother on Hanukkah and being with her sister. And her sister lived in a smaller town in Connecticut, which was much less Jewish. We would celebrate. We would do many of the same things, but we would not put the menorah in the window. Half a world away in Russia, it took the disintegration of the Soviet Union for Jewish families to feel safe enough to put menorahs in their windows. Sanders was working for CBS News in Moscow at the time, and he remembers filing stories about new religious freedom in the wake of communist collapse. I remember so vividly in the early 1990s when the Soviet empire was falling apart 
and when synagogues that had been closed since the great anti-religious campaigns of the late 20s were being reopened, and I covered and made, did stories about them, and there was a, uh, a synagogue that had been closed on a little street called Malaya Bronaya Street, right in the heart of Moscow, beautiful old building, and I had been there when it, it had been a, a library and then an old people's club. I didn't know, actually, that it had been a synagogue. And it was resurrected. And I went to do a story there. And I went to do a story because outside they had erected a humongous, giant menorah in a country that was notoriously anti-Semitic for so very many years. When the Soviet Union fell apart, one of the first things that happened was people began to feel freer to observe their religions. And this happened with almost all the religions, for, with, with the Orthodox, with the, the small number of Catholics who are in Moscow, with the Muslims. The Jewish one was more festive. crazy guys dressed up as if they were characters out of Fiddler on the Roof. They had the traditional hats, the klezmer music. They'd play this and they'd have a loudspeaker and they'd play the dreidel song and they'd play all these other songs. And they had this humongous, humongous big menorah and they'd light it and they'd dance around. It made great television. I still have boxes of candles that I brought back with me when I moved from Moscow to New York in 1997 because all of my friends, Jews and not Jews, were so unbelievably out of their mind that you could buy Hanukkah candles in Moscow that I kept getting presents of boxes of these candles. And I had so many boxes that I still have boxes. I've given them away here. It was two things. It was freedom religious freedom that came to, to, to Moscow and, and to Russia, and the idea of things, candles made in Israel. Israel had been this non-place, this Zionist entity. The Soviets kept Jews from emigrating. This is when I first discussed Hanukkah in the 1970s and the 80s with Jews who in Moscow who were trying to emigrate, who were studying Hebrew underground, who would have Hanukkah celebrations underground, who would never show the menorah in their windows, who would, who would try and hide the fact that they were even, even gathering to celebrate a holiday, who had to smuggle in from somebody who was coming through town as if it were booze during Prohibition, Hanukkah candles. The change was just so startling. It's always something I've been very conscious of, and now you go to Moscow, you do see people besides the, the synagogues displaying candles, you know, that the idea of freedom that it celebrates is an important and a good thing, even if it's gotten to be a little decadent uh, observation in our lifetime, uh, because, you know, we're lucky. We got Christmas to, to pump up uh, Hanukkah, but the, the idea of celebrating a, a holiday of freedom is, is really important. So this year, will you be lighting a menorah, or...? just counting them in the windows that you pass on your way home? I actually have a menorah. I inherited it from my grandfather. This is one of the few holidays I like. I actually like the idea of the lights and the candles and the idea of freedom. 
I don't say blessings. I don't sing songs. I don't march around. I did march around one year with my cat, but, you know, the flames kind of scared him a little bit, and my singing is enough to scare anyone. But I will. I, I have it here. <laughs> I have it here. This was my grandfather's. It's uh, got eight candles. And there's this whole big deal. Of course, being Jews, you know, you have, you have two Jews, you have three disagreements. There's a disagreement, and they can go on forever about what's the right way to light the candles. You're supposed to have the, the shamash on top, and then you're supposed to have the other candles. Notice them. All from, all from Israel, you know, uh, by way of Moscow, by way of I have 27 boxes. I mean, how can you miss with this? They're colorful, they make light, we could turn them on and see if we can get them to crackle for your microphone. Mary, we need sound effects in radio. <laughs> There's nothing better than sound effects in radio. Cue the Adam Sandler. Cue the Adam Sandler. A come on, Adam. Okay. I mean, Adam Sandler kind of summarizes the whole, let's get a good Hanukkah song, because, you know, the Christmas songs, you know, there's great jealousy. When you feel like the only kid in town Without a Christmas tree Here's a list of people who are Jewish Just like you and me <laughs> David Lee Roth Lights the menorah so do James Conkirk, Douglas, and the late Dinosaurus. Now, we're probably breaking some Fordham fire law by finding matches. I bet you you don't have matches. I don't have matches either. This is good. Jonathan, you're stupid. Never assume. <laughs> Paul Newman's half Jewish. Goldie Hawn's half too. Put them together. What a fine-looking Jew. You can spin a dreidel with Captain Kirk and Mr. Spock, both Jewish. So the deal is, you're not supposed to light the candles directly. You're supposed to put them in, and there's a whole argument. You're supposed to fill them from left to right, but then light them from right to left. You know, Hebrew is read from, from right to left. So you fill them from left to right and light them from left. And, and you did not fill them from left to yeah, right. Yeah, well, I, 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 I'm both heterodox, contrarian, spastic. I care more about the color order than the, what the, the you know, if the, if the Talmud and the rabbis say to do one thing, I'm bound to do it a different way. Okay. Some people think that Ebenezer Scrooge is. Well, he's not, but guess who is? All three stooges. So you light this one. There's a, 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 a candle on top. This is called the shamash, which is also slang that we use for police. It's the candle in charge. And then you use the top candle to light the, the next candle. And then you only light one. So the first night you light one. All the way on the right. All the way on the right. And then you, the next night, then you light the first one on the right and the second one. But the, the thing in America is every night you get a present. Every night you get a present. One present a night. My grandfather, who uh, 
uh, immigrated to the United States just on the eve of the First World War, used to say, it's such nonsense, my kind. It doesn't make any sense. You know, it's not a big holiday. You Americans are so spoiled. When we were kids, if we got one piece of fruit for Hanukkah, it was a big deal. Well, can you say holidays greetings to our listeners, and then that'll wrap us up? This is very technical Hebrew. I want you to listen very, very carefully. Mary, you ready for this technical Hebrew? I'm ready. I'm ready. Happy Hanukkah. Hagzameach. <laughs> I'll give you some candles to take home if you like. <laughs> Jonathan Sanders is a visiting assistant professor in the Communications and Media Studies Department at Fordham University. This is Fordham Conversations on 90.7 FM and WFUV.org. I'm Mary Wilson. As part of WFUV's Strike Accord campaign featuring artists who use their talents to help others, we hear now from a Fordham student who sees dance as a way to build community. I find that when a dancer is really performing, they're giving everything of themselves. I find that when you're dancing, you stop being the you that's on the outside and you start being the you that's on the inside. And that's when you give everything that you have. I think that when you're an audience member and you experience this, sometimes you can walk away being inspired and you come away with a more peaceful heart and a peaceful mind. Joanna Posmoleski is the founder of Juntos, a collective of dancers from Fordham's Alvin Ailey School, SUNY Purchase, and Juilliard. Joanna Posmoleski was raised in California, but she has roots in Guatemala, and she has made trips year after year, she says, to visit family there. Frequent travel back and forth wasn't enough to reconcile the culture of her home and the culture of her heritage. When I was younger, it was something that was really hard for me, is not having those bridged. I wanted to be the same, but it never was. And it, it did pull me in two different directions, but it also helped me understand how important understanding two cultures is. Maybe it takes a dancer's sensibility to know how to move in two directions at once, just as it takes an artist to create something beautiful in response to the ugliness in the world. Art is so necessary right now because creativity is necessary. The creativity to serve each member of the population, to provide for them the basic human needs, food, water, shelter. But what about love? Love is often forgotten. How can you satisfy that? The Dance Collective is Posmoleski's answer to that question. It's called Juntos, a word that means together in Spanish. The group is planning trips that takes Juntos's mission of community outreach beyond the city next year to Guatemala and Mexico. Posmoleski traveled to Mexico last year with members of Juntos and with her high school dance troupe before that. 
four years ago when I went to Mexico to perform. I remember going and performing on stage where we brought communities together. We brought the orphanage, we brought really wealthy Mexicans, we brought tourists, we brought like Americans, artists, non-artists, kids off the street and their parents that really? sold chicles. We had brought all those people together just to see our performance. With future performances in New York City schools and retirement homes, as well as performances in Guatemala and Mexico, Joanna hopes the Juntos Dancers Collective can give more communities a stage around which to sit side by side and be inspired. Being from, from two different cultures, I just naturally want to bring things together. That's kind of what sparks the idea to bring more projects together. And I think, well, wait a second, if they're performing in Guatemala, I want to perform with them. How can I do that? We do have an obligation to share everything that we have and everything that we've been given with other people around us. For more information about the Juntos Dance Collective, you can check out our Facebook page. Just search for WFUV's Fordham Conversations. And that'll be it for today's Fordham Conversations. To listen to past shows, check out the archives at WFUV.org, become a subscriber, and get the weekly podcast delivered to you. Listen to us while you do your holiday shopping. It's such nonsense, my kind. It doesn't make any sense. You know, it's not a big holiday. You Americans are so spoiled. When we were kids, if we got one piece of fruit for Hanukkah, it was a big deal. Tell your friend Veronica, it's time to celebrate Hanukkah. Oh, bar, get a harmonica on this lovely, lovely Hanukkah. Next week, it's Robin Shannon back in the host's seat. For Fordham Conversations, I'm Mary Wilson. <laughs> Happy Hanukkah!